Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So this morning and next Sunday and the Sunday after that, all the way up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ fulfilling the three offices of the Old Testament, the three offices uh, uh, of, of Christ, and that would be that He is prophet, He is priest, and He is king. Now, um, John Calvin wrote quite a bit about this, and of course John Calvin was a, a reformer back in... Gosh, Josh Walnoffer would kill me if I didn't know this, but several hundred years ago, a very influential in Christian world, but, but the biblical principles have been there since the beginning because they're embedded in Scripture, and that is that Jesus Christ was, unique, was the unique fulfillment of three roles or three offices of prophet, of priest, and of king. Now, these are three different roles, and they, they are very unique and, and you don't often have one person fulfilling two roles, but you certainly don't have one person fulfilling all three roles. Jesus as prophet is that, well, well, first off, what is a prophet? A prophet is one who God speaks to people through. So God speaks to the prophet. The prophet speaks the words of God to the people. That if you're looking at arrows, it's an arrow pointing down from God to man. So, a priest is one who speaks to God for the people. So, if you're looking at an arrow, it's from man pointing up. And a king is one who reigns supreme, whose overall and whose authority um, is, is what gives him the right to rule and reign within his kingdom. And so, this morning we're going to look at Jesus as prophet. And we're going to see how this uniquely qualifies him for our, not only our love, but our adoration and our worship. And so Hebrews chapter 1 says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word after He had provided purification for sins. He sat down... At the right hand of that majesty of heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name as he has inherited is superior to theirs. We'll cover the last few verses next week, but this morning I want to focus on the fact that God sent Jesus as the prophet of all prophets. And in fact, the overall theme of chapter 1 in Hebrew, in the letter to the Hebrews, is this, that Jesus is the bomb shiggity, Right? Now, I know some of y'all got that. Let me say it for the rest of us who don't get it, okay? Jesus is above all, beyond all. He's the best of the best of the best of the best. He's bigger than the biggest of the biggest of the biggest of the biggest, right? If I were a rapper, I could really do good right here, but I'm not. He is, he is greater than we could expect. He is more superior than any. He is, he is over and above and beyond. See, there's not enough words to describe how superior he, superior he is. What the Scripture is saying here is this, that in His most excellent, superior nature, He has fulfilled for us, through the directive of God, 
the prophetic role. And the prophetic role was to speak for God. And really, it was God to speak through him to us. Now, in the Old Testament, we find many prophets. In fact, that's what the Scripture says here in verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many, at many times and in various ways. Now, that phrase, many times, really could be translated through many portions and many ways. And it's a, it's a literary device in the Hebrew that, that it's kind of plays off each other. And it's a way of saying... Um, through many portions or many writings, and then many ways is many different ways besides writings. So what we understand by this scripture is that God has spoken through prophets, not only through writings of many people over many times or over many years, but through also songs and through through different uh, different literary devices and through people in ways that that were were far and broad. And if you think about the Old Testament, that's true. The Old Testament was written over a period of 1,500 years, over 45 different authors, and it's accounted into 39 different books. And every single one of those authors, over that 1,500 years, those, those 39 different books have one central theme. That one central theme is Jesus. So all of the Old Testament, you've heard me say this before, it's an arrow pointing to Jesus Christ. And God said, you have heard in many different ways and many different forms through many different prophets about me. But now, I'm going to give you the complete picture. In other words, in the Hebrew, it's translated this. I'm going to give you the whole enchilada. That's the Hebrew. It's a joke, Jesse. He's processing going, I didn't know they had Mexican food in the Bible. Seriously, it's, but I like it. So, so the whole enchilada is Jesus. Now, here's why this is necessary. Because in the Old Testament, the prophets each gave the Word of God in portions and in pieces. This is known as progressive revelation. Now, why would God have to progressively reveal Himself? Well, think about it. It's what we do in school. You don't teach a third grader trigonometry, do you? I mean, maybe you do if you're in you know, some, some genius land, but for the most of, of humanity, a third grader doesn't do trig. A third grader does... I don't even know what third graders do. I was going to say one plus one equals two, but I really hope third graders don't do that. Let's go, you don't teach a kindergartner trig. You teach a kindergartner one plus one equals two. Two times four, you know, whatever. I'm not a teacher. You, you start at the basics because their, their, their basic understanding of, of mathematics is very rudimentary. They learn a little bit, and then they learn a little bit more, and it compounds and builds upon each other. And at some point in their mathematics career, they go... Wow, it makes sense. Am I right? At some point it comes together because all the building blocks. It's the same way with English. I ain't got no qualms about all the English I've been learned. Actually, my, best, my, my most favorite English teacher was Miss Compton. No, Miss Crumpton. Miss Crum. Miss C. In 11th grade, honors English. I'll never forget her. She had big poofy hair, you know, blonde hair. I think it was real. But it was big, poofy hair. And she would go, now, 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 class, your honor students. 
We get it right every time. You know, so today I still use words that I learned in 11th grade. Seriously. And that's not a lackadaisical attitude. I mean, we can abate the problem. So, so seriously, in, in all honesty, a teacher will, will take you from basic, and then at some point you have that teacher who goes, now let me make it all make sense to you. That's what God did with Jesus. Through progressive revelation, God was giving um, the people of God a snapshot of Himself. He spoke of His holiness. He spoke of His majesty. He spoke of His kindness. He spoke of His goodness. And each of these uh, prophets would give a different snapshot. And with the coming of Jesus, it, it was as if God said, now that they have everything they need to know me, I am going to be with them so that they can see how all that they've heard and learned actually makes sense. That's why Emmanuel, the name given to Jesus, means what? God with us. Now here's the cool thing. Christianity is the only faith system that does this. Every other faith system is man trying to understand God. It's, it's, it's me being in a little dark black box trying to, to chip away at the corners to find some light. In every other faith system, you, from, from the Mideastern to the Southeastern to, you know, everything. In Christianity, God says, I'm not going to make them chip out of the dark box to find the light. I'm going to immerse myself into the box and be the light. And so with Jesus, we have the exact representation of God. I don't want to get ahead of myself too much, but when we see that He is the exact representation of His being, what we're understanding through that is that He is not like God. He is not similar to God. He's the exact replication. So in other words, when you look at Jesus, you are looking at the fullness of God. Because as, as we understand it, we have God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He is a triune God. And at this point, your brain goes, what? We all have heard about the concept of the Trinity, but you recognize that the word Trinity is not in the Scripture. We, we understand the concept of the Trinity because we look at the whole of Scripture and all of Scripture points to the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three persons in one. It's not a hierarchy to where God is superior, Jesus is next, and the Holy Spirit is next. No, it's three who are equal. But they're not three separate. They're three in one. Now, I don't understand that with, with my mind to the degree that I could go, oh, that makes perfect sense. I understand that partially with my mind and partially with the faith that comes through. Well, the Word of God says it, therefore, I'm going to trust it. And the, the, the reason that I trust that is because when I see Jesus, I need to recognize that by looking at Jesus, I'm seeing the whole nature of God. You say, well, why are we doing this at Christmas? Here's why. Because Christmas has been reduced to a fat man in a red suit coming down a chimney to give boys and girls presents based on whether or not they've been good. Any kids in here? Here, here, here's, here's, the, here's the funny thing. We, we, we have taken Christmas, and, and you know, I'm, not, I'm not preaching against that. I mean, there's some fun stuff in that, 
But if we're not careful, we can miss the fact that, that our system of Christmas currently is a works-based system. When Christmas is about the free gift of God with us. Now, I don't know if you do this, but Elf on a Shelf, what's it all about? You better be good. Because if you're not good, you're going to get in trouble. If you're not good, you won't get a gift. Listen, it's not a gift if you've got to earn it. Can I say that again? You haven't received a gift if you have to earn the gift. You've received a payment. Amen or no? It's not a gift if you earned it. It's a payment. It's an expectation. It's an obligation. A gift is freely given with nothing expected in return. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's given. And this, this whole idea that, that we've come up with is that, that there's a very works-based, I'm going to be good. Well, guess what? I can't be good enough to earn the gift that God gave on that Christmas morning. I can't. Now, I can try, but I'm never going to be good enough. And Jesus Christ, as the, 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 the God-made flesh, the, the, the Word of God with us, is the revelation of this very fact. You don't deserve me, but I'm here anyways. You haven't earned me, but I'm here anyways, and I'm not going anywhere. So you think of your own life before Christ, you were in this darkness, and you were trying to find sense, you were trying to make sense, you were trying to find hope, you were trying to find peace and, and, and all these other things and God chased after you. He sought you out and he inserted himself in the midst of your darkness and said, I am God. And so for the rest of our life, we are learning of God and we are learning from God by God. How cool is that? Does that make sense? What other faith system does that? None. Every other faith system says, you've got to find Him. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, one of the, one of the things that the body of Christ should do better at and I'm, I'm talking about us, and I'm talking about globally. We should do better at trying to find the marginalized and the broken and the poor and the refused of society. But you know, to be quite honest, you know what most church plants are all about? And, and we, I don't think this is intentional, but by the way we design what we design, we're going after the middle class family. Think about this for a moment. Of all the churches that you know have started, who are they geared to? They're geared to the middle class family. That's why we put so much energy into youth ministry and so much energy into kids ministry and so much energy into to family and all this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't spend his time with the middle class family. And I'll go even one step further. Quite frankly, most church starts are about the white middle class family. 
And, and that, that's not because they said one day, hey, this is who we're after. It's just like, hey, let's just let's do what, what will attract us so we do what attracts us, right? But you know where Jesus spent most of his time? Out on the highways and the byways, the edges, the, the broken. He was in the places where the religious people wouldn't go. Now, I don't mean to chase this rabbit trail too much, but what if this Christmas we had a real sense, a real understanding that by the nature of God with us, we are to reflect His heart and His character and His passion for those who are on the edges of society. Amen? What if the poor became those to which we could not pass by without wanting to introduce hope? What if the marginalized were those that we said, no, we will stand with you for justice? What if it were the ones who were unseen that we said, you know what, I don't want to be in the midst of the crowd. I want to go in the midst of the unseen because that's where we will find Jesus. What if our hearts changed to where we were always looking for those that everybody else passed by? How many examples do we need in Scripture? Remember the woman who was, who was dealing with the issue of blood for 12 years? She, was, she had, a, she had a, a, a bleeding issue. And, you know, in those days, it not only was a, a major pain and it not only was a, was a physical hindrance, but it meant she was unclean. She could not go to the temple. She was separated from God because of this bleeding that she had. And, and in her desperation, she pushed her way through the crowd and she just reached out and just touched the garment of Jesus. Because in her mind, she thought, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus, maybe I will be healed. And when she touched him, just the hem of his garment, Jesus stopped in the midst of all these people and he said, whoa, who touched me? I don't think it was because he didn't know who touched him. I think it was because he wanted to bring attention to the fact that there was one person in that crowd who was desperate and knew it. All, and his disciples, you know, God bless them. You know, I guess we could say bless their heart because they, they were clueless on this. They go, well, what do you mean who touched you, Jesus? you got a hundred people around you. Everybody touched you. No, 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 no. I felt power when somebody touched me. And imagine him turning around and just scanning the crowd. And as he did it, he passed by and looked at the woman in the eyes. Didn't necessarily call her out, but, but she probably felt like, what did I do? And she's like, it was me. And his words to her weren't condemning. His words to her were life. I give you healing. I give you hope. I'm fixing the relationship between you and God. Because by being healed of this issue of blood, she now was able to approach God in the temple. So what if, what if we had a heartbeat like that for Jesus? Or, 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 or like Jesus, because he, went, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, I didn't intend to go on that tangent, but I think it was important because I think we need to recognize that as long as we build what we build for us, we are going to miss the people that God is sending us to. Amen? Amen? 
You know what that means? That means the kid at school that nobody wants to talk to, it's our job. That means the irritating pain in the butt at work that everybody tries to avoid, that's our job. That means that weird uncle or that weird family member that we don't want to invite to all of the functions, only to some of them. A little too close to home, ain't it? <laughs> and listen, you're not Jesus, so you can't fix everybody. Matter of fact, you and I can't fix anybody. But you see, when we have a heart like Jesus, we have the heart of the Father. And that's what He wants us to know. That when we see Jesus, we see an exact replica. In the Greek, it's literally a die cast. It's a stamp that from one side to the other, from the inside to the outside, it is the exact same substance. Which, which, which begs the question, what if... What if we want to be like Jesus? If we want to be like Jesus and we become like Jesus, we become like God. We don't become God. We don't become a God. We become like God, which is His plan in the first place. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that He made us what? Imago Dei, in the image of God. And because of sin, that was all marred. And so let's get back to the text. So in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through Him, or through whom, He made the universe. So all authority and all power has been invested in the Son. So he's not just a prophet, he is a powerful prophet. And as I said, whereas all the other Old Testament prophets spoke of a piece of God, Jesus spoke the fullness of God. And he said, look, everything you've ever heard, I am the, I am the complete picture. Do what I do. And if you do that, you will be like your father. Now, I will tell you, that there's no more honoring thing than when your children are like you. If you're a dad or a mom, would you agree with that? Yes or no? Just the good stuff, that's right. And, and, and that's true. We don't want them to, to, to pick up our failures and our faults. We want them to pick up the qualities and the characteristics that are good. By the way, can I just say this? Mom, dad, don't shortchange yourself. You have characters and qualities that are worth your kids following. And I say that because some of you may feel like, look, I don't want my kid to be anything like me. Really? There's no kindness in you? There's no compassion in you at all? I, I think there is. There's no gentleness in you at all? What I'm saying is, sometimes parents can be so hard on themselves that they, they, they in a way, they disrespect even the work that God has already done in them. Instead of, instead of saying, don't be anything like me, say, be like the parts of me that are Christ-like, and then I'm going to change me so that I can say to you, follow all of me. In fact, I have this past week come up with a new understanding of what it means to be a pastor. And this is going to sound really weird and crazy, but 
I actually got it from Bob Green last week when we had lunch after the service. He said, you know, I had a group come over to my house and I told them, I said, this is going to be a form of, we're not a church, we're just a group. I've invited you to my house so I can share with you my soul. And it's going to be kind of like Christian voyeurism. And I go, hmm. That's really what it's all about. We should be Christian voyeurs. Do you know what I mean by that? We should live lives that are open and honest with each other. And as a pastor, I've really thought about this week. It does you no good if I stand on stage and tell you stuff that I've heard about or that I've studied about and make you think that I got it all figured out. What does you good is when I stand up here and I say, this is what God has shown me. This is what God spoke in His Word. And I'm not doing a good job at this. But I'm working on it. Because there's an there's a, there's a authenticity about that, isn't there? Y'all follow what I'm saying here? I think Jesus lived a life of, of, of Christian voyeurism. Essentially what He said was, look at my life through and through. Look, listen to my words, watch my actions. Everything that I do is before you. Follow me. Folks, we should be able to say to each other, follow me. Amen? We should, we should, we should know Jesus to the degree of being able to say to our children, if you do what I do, you will be like Christ. Now, I've heard many people say, yeah, Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ, but I could never say that. Listen, then change it. Amen? Change it. And listen, you don't change it by going, I'm just going to do better. It's not about doing better. It's about yielding of the heart. It's not about saying, oh, that's just who I am. It's about, Lord, this part of me is cracked. This part of me is broken. Reveal to me what it is that has been broken in me because I don't even see the root of it and then pull it out and transform it by the power of who you are. When, when, when David prays in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart. I believe it's Psalm 53. Let me just read it for you there. Because this, this hit me this week as well, and it was like, wow, that's, that's good. All right, Psalm 51, said, uh, starting in verse 3, For I know my transgression, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Um, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart. Do not cast me away. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Actually, that's not the verse I was thinking of. Anybody know what I'm thinking in my head? Rarely. <laughs> Rarely. Yeah, welcome to the club. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. What, what, what passage is that? Say it again. Psalm 139. Thank you. I knew it was in the psalm. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's, here's what I think he was saying there. I think he was saying, search me and know my heart. Search me and test my thoughts. Not that God doesn't know what they are. But in 51, he clearly says, surely my sin is before me. But here's the thing. We don't really know all that's going on in our heart. I mean, we know what we think we know. We know what we see. I think David's prayer here is this. God, I know what I see, but I know there's stuff I don't see. So get to the things that I don't see and reveal them to me so that I might be like you. That is a courageous prayer. This morning laying on my bed when I'm trying to get out of bed because my alarm's gone off 15 times, I, I, I did the spiritual thing to make an excuse for not getting out of bed, and I just started to pray. Have y'all ever done that? Come on, be honest. Have you done that? I mean, let me see. Come on, empathy. You know you need to get out, but oh, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to be spiritual. I'm going to pray for about 15 more minutes. But here, but here is my prayer. Lord, I don't know why I do some of the things I do. I don't get me. Ask God the honest questions. God, I, I don't get why I think this. I don't get why I react this way. I don't understand why, why I do this, but, but I know it's not like you. And I want to be like you. And that constant searching for a pure heart and for clean hands. And Jesus says, look, search for me and you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. So Jesus is the prophet of prophets. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. I love this phrase, the radiance of God's glory. Do you know what radiance means? Radiance literally means to send forth light. Jesus sends forth the light of God's glory. Now go back to the illustration of a box. So we're in this box we can't see. We're trying to dig our way out to find some light. And God says, you will never find me. But I have found you. And he inserts himself into our life. And he explodes with this radiance of God's glory. Here's the light. This is God. And we say, wow. So that's what God is like. It's nothing like, he's nothing like I imagined. He's so much better. He's so much more glorious. And because we have the light, God with us, that light starts to transform us and it starts to change us. And no longer do we start, do, do, no longer are we now trying to find our way out of the box. We're just drawn to the light of Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? And so this Christmas, as we think of a little baby boy born, wrapped in swaddling clothes with this, this, this uh, 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 audience of sheep and mud and hay and, you know, farm animals, we think this little baby was the prophet of all prophets. This little baby was the priest, the high priest of all priests. This little baby 
was not only the king, but the king of all kings. And all authority in heaven and on earth and even under the earth has been invested into this little baby. So much more than a man in a red suit. So much more than a Christmas tree and carols. So much more than a decorated yard. Literally, God invaded history and it changed everything. So here's what I want to ask of you. Are you seeking God? Now most of us in here would say, yes, I am. And and I would believe it. I believe most all of us are seeking God. The real question is, How much are you seeking Him? You see, as I reflect over this last week of my life, what I've I've realized is that I have been entertained far more than I've sought after the heart of God. I have enjoyed Christmas movies. Stupid Christmas movies. I have watched grown men in stretchy pants run back and forth to hug each other all the way to the ground, all because of a little brown ball. That's football, for those of you who weren't tracking. Oh! And I have been amused... But none of those things are going to keep me when I'm in an office hearing gunfire and screams. None of those things are going to keep me when I am facing my own mortality, knowing that in a week or two, I am going to step across the door, the threshold into eternity. None of those things are going to make any difference in my life whatsoever. And so the question that I am asking myself is this. Why is it so easy to waste time on such unimportant things? Can I just be honest with you? There's nothing wrong with football. Nothing wrong with silly Christmas movies. Nothing wrong with Christmas parties. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that is the extent of your Christmas season, you're missing the face of God. There's a guy by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you have heard of him, some of you haven't. He never went more than 20 or 30 minutes without reading God's Word. I've always looked at that and thought, if only I could do that. And then it dawned on me, that was Smith Wigglesworth. I'm not called to be Smith. I'm called to be Jeff. And while I don't need to to be him, I do need to pursue Jesus. So here is the bottom line of today's message. You have the prophet of all prophets 
to reveal everything you will ever need to know about God in Jesus Christ. You don't need anybody else because Jesus is everything that God is. Where the rubber meets the road today is this. Will you pursue Him? More than just a cursory pursuit. Will you begin to consume who Jesus is? Not intellectually, but with a thirsty soul, asking, pleading with God, transform me into your likeness. Because you want to know what happens when, that ha when you do that? You become a man or a woman who can walk into a room and it instantly change. And at your funeral, there will be people who will say, I've never known a person quite like her. I've never known a person quite like him. Don't you want to be that? Isn't that a goal? Isn't that something that would be... I mean, I'd love for them to talk about the big bucks that I've killed. About how good of a fisherman I was. Which those things are true, but... <laughs> I'd really rather people talk about how I looked like Jesus. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't you... Father, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. All I know is that as, as your people, we have been called to be the radiance of your glory. We have been given an amazing gift. to where our words are life to others, to where our touch brings calmness and stillness to troubled souls, to where our, our eyes can look at someone else in the eyes and give hope. And God, it's not because of us. There's nothing good in us except for you. So, Father, I ask you to, to open the eyes of our heart, to draw us to you. Lord, the world is so loud and it's so noisy and so, so all-consuming. But, Father, hope comes from you. And when we read your word, those words are just, just filled with life and power. They're filled with, with clarity. So Lord, each of us has to choose our path this week. Lord, I pray that I would choose you above all else. Lord, I pray that for my children. I pray that for my family. I pray that for our, our staff. God, I pray that for our church. 
only you can make sense in this world. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gold Breeze at F.